Today, we light the first candle of the Advent wreath. This is the candle of hope. With Christians around the world, we use this light to help us prepare our hearts and minds for the coming of God's Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. May we receive God's light as we hear the words of the prophet Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. All right. Good morning. It's good to see you. Good to be with you. Uh, If you're a guest with us, my name is Drew. I'm the pastor of Discipleship and so excited to uh, be with you today as we start off Advent. Love this time of year. Love the opportunity that we have as a church to sort of zoom in on this anticipation, this expectation. Um, And today we enter into this season. And if you don't know what Advent means, it literally means the arrival. So the coming of one, some event, something is coming. And we start with this word um, today of hope, hope. We actually sang about it just a few moments ago, the hope that is brought to us. And hope, this is a word that we use often, probably more often than you even realize because it comes out so much. I I hope you feel better. I I hope you have a healthy baby. I hope I get an A in that class. I I hope she likes me. I hope he likes me. I hope to make a difference in the world. I I hope um, their marriage makes it. I hope I get the raise that I uh, want. I hope things get better. Hope all over the place. And every day we use this small, really magical word, hope. And sometimes because we use it so much, it can sort of lose maybe its, its meaning or we can even distort exactly what it means. It can get sort of skewed, but it's, it's something far deeper than that. It's tough to live or even make it through a day without hope. <laughs> Whether you're a Christian or not, we would all agree hope is a powerful thing and it's a necessary thing, especially if you live in a world like ours. You don't have to look around very hard to realize everything is not as it should be. We live in a world that's broken in so many different ways. There's pain, there's arguing, there's anger, frustration, there's death, there's war, there's brokenness all around us. We see it. Sometimes it's in relationships, sometimes it's in other things in our life, in our world in which we live. We need hope. It allows us to not only not give up and throw in the towel, And keep looking forward, believing that something better is possible, but it allows us to also do that while staying grounded here in the present, regardless of what things look like. We all need hope in every facet of our life. You need and desire, we need and desire hope. And there's this longing for it in our world a weary world. Some of you, maybe you came in today, you feel weary. You feel worn out. There is heavy weight that you feel on you. You're wrestling through some things. You're hoping for things. You're hoping things change. Some of you came in feeling like you're bearing the weight of the world or there are areas in your life that seem all but hopeless or hopeless, or you're just simply tired and worn out, and the world has been tired, and the world has been weary, 
in anticipation of something better. That's where we get the title of this uh, sermon series for Advent, The Weary World Rejoices. And you see it in Romans 8. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together for things to be made right, for things to be put back together. And so what we see as we enter Advent and we remember ultimately the one who left his throne, the one who came as a baby, the one who lived a life unlike any other, that was born into a humble family, living this humble life for a critical mission, is a different type of hope. It's not cheap. It's not false. It's not everything that you're going to get as you go out into Uh, your society, our society today. It's real. It's lasting. It's different. Your soul longs for it and we all need it. So no matter who you are, seriously, no matter what your age, no matter what you brought in with uh, you today or didn't, maybe things are going great. You still need this hope because it's bigger than what we often realize. It's different than how we often associate it. God not only wants to show you what this is, he wants to offer it to you and invite you into it. So let me pray for us and then we'll dive into our main passage today. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for what you've done on our behalf. I pray that you would speak to us here at this time. God, I pray that you take away distractions. I pray that you would take away roadblocks. I pray that you'd give us a receiving spirit, open hearts, open minds. I pray that you'd meet every single one of us where we are in our unique place. Speak truth where there are lies. Clear up things where there's distortions. Make your love known to us in a new, tangible way. And God, would you change our hearts and would you change our minds to be more like you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, Advent. Excited? Ready? All right, here's the deal. You guys just responded the way I expected the 9 a.m. to respond. In the 9 a.m., we're on fire. So uh, a little disappointed, but we're going to get there. All right? No redos. No, no, Jonathan, settle down. No redos. No redos. This is why it's also good that the 11 a.m. isn't broadcast online. All right. Here we go. We're going to dive into this. Really, I'm excited about this. Such good news. Let me give you some overview here because we need to understand what's happening here in Jeremiah. Otherwise, none of this will make sense. Around the year 627 BC, when Jeremiah would have been about 15 or 16, so let that sink in, God came to him and he said this. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Imagine being 15 or 16 years old and hearing that, right? One, a great point that you're never too young to be used by God. But God speaks this to Jeremiah But then we fast forward 40 years, and in the midst of grim historical circumstances, Jeremiah, this once esteemed prophet, sits in a cold prison cell. He's misunderstood, he's persecuted, he's been hunted down, he's been labeled as a menace, and yet he will share some of the most powerful words of hope found in the entire Old Testament. And just as these words are true for God's people during this time, it's just as true for you today. Don't ever think that the Bible was only written for those at that time. No, it's living and active, and it's just as true for your life today. It's transformative. The message is essentially this. All is not lost. 
There are better days ahead if you place your hope in the right place. And so it starts this way in verse 14. Jeremiah says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Now a little bit more background here. Jeremiah is a prophet. The nation is in crisis. Here's exactly what's happening here. The year is 587 B.C., the king of Babylon and his troops have surrounded the capital city of Jerusalem, setting up a deadly siege and living, leaving the people inside Jerusalem on the brink of starvation. Food has run out. Things look utterly hopeless. And let me just say it again. Maybe you did bring in something today where it feels like that in your life. Have you ever felt like that? Situation, a circumstance, a season, maybe a season that keeps going. You're like, when's this season going to end? Whatever it may be. God wants to speak into that. It says the days are coming. What Jeremiah means by this is better days are coming. It's not always going to be like this. Hope is essentially this belief that better days are ahead that also changes us in the present. The way we think, the way we live, the way we operate. And it says, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. So the good question here is, what's this promise? We have to go all the way back to Genesis where things fell apart, right? And in Genesis 3, 14 through 15, we see something amazing. Although we chose to sin, although we pushed back and rebelled, although we ate the fruit, and you're like, whoa, we're only three chapters into Genesis, mankind isn't looking great, right? Although we do that, God immediately comes on the scene and he says, I will make a way. There's hope. Here's what it says. The Lord said to the serpent who tricked Adam and Eve, because you have done this, cursed you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. These two verses are not just about people and snakes not getting along. Um, some people actually believe that. No, there's more to it. Although I don't get along with snakes and I can totally relate with this. Um, there's something else going on here. This is referred to as Proto-evangelium, meaning the first gospel. The first mention that a Messiah, that a Savior is going to come and make things right. That God promised that through the seed, a descendant of Eve, that things will be made right. And there's something even deeper here. The Amplified Version of the Bible does a great job of explaining this. You can actually look and there's different emphasis here. It says, he shall fatally bruise your head and you shall only bruise his heel. I love this because think about it. When Christ does come, this one we're anticipating, this one we're looking to, and he goes to the cross and he takes on sin, that's essentially Satan bruising the heel, but it's not a death blow. Because he dies, he goes to the grave, but he overcomes and he overcomes sin and death and Satan. And guess what that is? It's a complete death blow. It's a crush to the head. That's what this is pointing toward all the way back in Genesis as man has fallen. This is the promise that's being fulfilled. This is the promise that the people who are on the brink of starvation that Jeremiah is speaking to where he wants them to find their hope. All is not lost. And what's he going to come and do? He's going to come and he's going to make things right. You see this in Isaiah. 
Such a beautiful passage in Isaiah 11. It says, therefore, he shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch of his roots, and they will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he, his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor. Decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And picture this scene right here. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play over the hole of the cobra. Don't try that at home later today. And the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What's this pointing to? things being restored back to the way they were always intended to be. That's what this one born a baby that's being anticipated, that's being hoped for, will come and will do. See, as I was preparing for this, I realized there's this false idea that Christianity, that it can be sort of unintelligent because it's based on solely you know, myths or feelings, whereas science is based on reason and rationale. But just hear this hope, the hope that we have, the hope that God offers, it's never simply pulled out of thin air. It's not a cross your fingers type of hope. It's very different than just optimism, right? Optimism says like, oh, today's, tomorrow's going to be better. Tomorrow's going to be better than today. And it's like, well, why is tomorrow going to be better? I don't know. I just, I just think it will be. I've, I've told myself it's going to be. And it's like, oh, okay, um, that's optimism, this goes much deeper. This type of hope is different because it's based on a history with God. It's based on a past with God, what we've seen him do, the promises that we've seen him keep, even if it's not in our life, in others' life, in the Bible, in his word. And it gives us a glimpse of his character, that he's a loving God, that wants good for us, that he's not seeking to destroy us, but to give us a lasting hope. This is where we come to. Because of this history we have with him. And it goes all the way back to Genesis and it stretches all the way into your life today. We just wrapped up our study series, our study groups in the book of Joshua. And the last thing Joshua says to the people in a speech is he recounts all that God has done and how he's been faithful. Why does he do that? He does that to remind the people that he is good on his word. And he also does it to keep them from thinking they should rely on themselves when times are good. Because that's what we do as humans. We default to self-reliance. Things are going well. I've got this. I can do this. I don't know if I really need that. That's cool when I'm in trouble. It's like, no, 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 no. This is a hope for the here and now, in good or bad. And it's something we all desperately need. And what it really comes down to is a question. Can I trust the one making the promise? Because ultimately that's, where we'll place or not place our hope. Can I trust the one making the promise? People have been asking this question long before us, and when the answer is yes, the response that we see throughout history is faith. By faith, Noah obeyed and built an ark, saving his family. 
He said, yes, I can trust in God. By faith, Abraham and Sarah received the son God promised them, even though they were too old to bear children. By faith, Joseph overcame betrayal, slavery, false accusations, and imprisonment to save the nation of Israel. By faith, God's people left Egypt, walked through the Red Sea, and it parted on each side for them. By faith, the Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho, and those walls came down, and they took over the city. And they weren't a perfect people. These were a flawed people. These people had doubts. These people had fears. They made mistakes. They had weakness. But they all had one thing in common. They put their hope in God. They persevered in faith, waiting on God to show that he could be trusted again and again and again. God has a perfect track record of keeping his promises. And that is not, has not, will not change. Now, it doesn't always look the way we would expect or prefer. And we don't always see the full picture. But the God that has kept his promises in the past absolutely keep his promises in the present. I want you to hear this. He will not let you go. He will not turn his back on you. He will not walk away from you. Even when you walk away, even when you get wily and rebellious, go a little sideways, have a lot of doubts, Get angry. Don't agree. He is a good God, a good father who pursues his kids. He loves you that much. He reassures you of his love time and time again. Even when you feel like he's let you down, even when it's hard to believe, even on your lowest day, he has promised that he's still working together for your good. And we know and we can trust this because we've seen the promise Jeremiah's talking about come to pass. Where is the hope? Look at this last two verses. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jeremiah and Jerusalem, sorry, will dwell securely. This hope is not gonna be through David. And David was a man after God's own heart, but David was incredibly flawed. And it's not going to be through the king. In fact, Jeremiah tells him, hey, Zedekiah, this isn't going to uh, end well. The king of Babylon will come into the city and you're going to surrender and you can do it the easy way or you can do it the hard way. Uh, spoiler alert, he decides to do it the hard way. Um, you can look at 2 Kings for that. Essentially, he trusts the religious leaders around him that are simply telling him the things that he wants to hear, even though Jeremiah says you shouldn't trust him. All they're offering you is false hope. He even says it this way. They dress the wounds of my people as though they were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, where there is no peace. False hope. Something you and I get offered every single day. And it's never going to stop and it's never going to slow down. Today, when you go home, if you turn on the TV or if you open up a newspaper, or if you get on Facebook or if you have a conversation with different people, you will be offered different, uh, you will be told to place your hope in different things, in different places, in different people. Put all your hope in your relationships. Put all of your hope in your job and your career. Put all of your hope in your salary and what you have, what, you, uh, what you've accrued. Put all of your hope in your abilities. Put all of your hope in your health. But here's the reality. None of those things can bear the weight. They were never intended to. None of your relationships can bear the way of your ultimate hope. They will come crashing down around you. They will let you down. So where is this real lasting hope for better days? It's here. It's in the righteous branch, the better Adam, the perfect David, who came to seek and to save those that were lost, those that were on the brink of spiritual starvation. That's us. 
the one Abraham was anticipating, the one who God's people in Exodus were looking forward to, the one who generations upon generations of people were anticipating, not just another man, but ultimately the son of man. And this was a redeemed hope that's being brought. We sang that song a few minutes ago. Um, I'm blanking on the title. It's the second song we sang. But in it, um, what greater you, Lord. I just remembered it. Did anybody? I think I remembered it. My brain's working. Um, greater you, Lord. In it, there's a line. It says, hope is renewed for the heart that is broken. Hope is restored. That's it. Hope is restored for the heart that is broken. This is a restorative hope meant to put the broken things back together. That's why it's so beautiful and amazing. It brings justice where there's been injustice. Where there's been wounds and grief, it brings healing. Where there have been tears and loss, it wipes away the tears. This is the kind of hope that we find in Jesus and Jesus alone for every wrong that's ever been done to any man, woman, and child, for every loss you've experienced, every hurt, for every pain to be made right in this righteous branch, not through a spouse, not through cash, not through your job, not through a government, not through anything else, only Jesus. The baby born of a virgin, living this humble life, dying this humble death on a cross, taking your sin, not defeated, not stopped by Satan, but instead crushing the head of Satan by overcoming sin and death, that he would endure all of this so things could be made right, so there could be justice. This is the day that we're coming to, because here's the reality. Better days are coming. We don't know exactly what that might look like in each of our lives. Some things that you are experiencing or will experience may not get better in this lifetime, but we know that a day is coming past this lifetime, the better day when everything's made right, when Christ comes again, when he takes us to be with him and we rejoice in the hope that has come to full fruition. Amen. This is what Jesus offers us. This is really the hope of Advent. And this is why we start here. As Rutledge says, Advent starts in the darkness as God reveals the light the light of this world, the risen Christ. But can I be honest? It can still be hard to hope. <laughs> it can be. Because it says in those days and at that time, they weren't given an exact timetable, neither are we. And it can be difficult and it can be challenging. It can often be easier not to because it requires vulnerability and it requires an open heart. Uh, maybe you remember the line from the Christmas classic, Shawshank Redemption. Um, it is. It's a beautiful, do not watch it with, with your kids. Um, if you know this story, if you know this movie, it's, it's one of my favorites. Red, he's been in prison for years and years, and he's serving a life sentence, and he, he keeps going before the parole board time and time again, and he keeps getting rejected for something he did when he was way younger. And Andy comes on the scene who's been wrongly accused and is also supposed to spend a life sentence, and yet he has this hope. He keeps talking about this life that he's going to live when he gets out, and, and Red says this great line. He says, Andy, hope is a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. Because hope changes us. <laughs> hope changes us in the present because it means we're able to find stable ground and look toward the future with expectation, not hesitation. And expectation can sound pretty risky at times. Um, as soon as Halloween came to a close, Silas immediately started saying, is it Christmas yet? And so we've been telling him. He asked us every single day. Or he'll tell us it's not Christmas. Um, we're like, thank you. Um, 
is it Christmas? Is it Christmas? Christmas is coming. And, and you can see every day when we're like, it's getting closer. It's getting closer. It's coming. This anticipation is building. This excitement is building. There's this tension between what's not yet here, but what's coming. And you can see this in a three and a half year old getting so excited, eyes lighting up. But it can be risky. But we, obviously, we know Christmas is coming. And so we can say it with assuredness that, yes, Christmas is coming. But for some of us, this idea of stepping out and saying, okay, God, are you going to meet me there? I, I want to trust, but, but I really don't want to be disappointed. I really don't want to be let down. I, I don't want to face more pain. This seems really challenging. We come to these crossroads. But hope, essentially, it keeps us holding on and looking forward, remembering what God has done in the past. But sometimes, even when we remember all that he's done in our life and others' life through history, it doesn't change our current reality. And that's what's tough. It doesn't change our current, potentially broken circumstance. Some of these realities are very difficult. For some of you, maybe you thought you'd be married this year. You're not married. Maybe you thought you'd have children or have more children. That hasn't happened. Maybe you thought your marriage would get better. You'd see some restoration. That hasn't happened. Maybe there have been some strained relationships that you have, and you, you were really hoping that those would, uh, would be restored, and they're not quite there yet, or things have become more challenging. Maybe you hope that this year would offer you more clarity on what the future looks like, and you're still not really sure, or you don't feel like you have that clarity. Maybe you thought you'd have better health, and that better health hasn't come. Maybe you've lost someone this year. You've lost something, and it's left a hole. It's left, a, it's left an empty spot at the table, right? Sometimes we have to accept what we don't understand and keep trusting. And I do not say that lightly. And I do not say it just leaving it where it stands. This whole idea of just, you know, just trust. Just push away the, push away the doubts, fears, anger, frustration. Just trust. No, 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 no. That's not, that's, that's not it. It's important that in these times we realize that acceptance is not denial. Acceptance does not mean denying the real emotions you have, the real pain you've endured, that you face, that you have to process through. Acceptance isn't meant to diminish the pain, to erase the questions or the doubts, or to push those feelings down deep. There have been so many times in my adult life where I had no idea what God was doing or why he was doing it this way. And there are still areas that I don't. And although imperfectly, I feel like I've grown a bit or have come to accept that things are going to happen in my life that I don't like and I don't agree with. And it's at these times at this crossroad that I find myself asking this question that seems simple, but so critically important. God, do I trust that you're actually good? And do I trust that you want good for me? And it's during this time, I think we can do three things. Remember what God has done in your life, in others' life, and throughout history. Accept what God is doing, even if we don't fully understand it, or we don't see the full picture play out, to actually rest in knowing that he's good. He's better at being in control than we are. And thirdly, we trust in what God is going to do. Whether it's in this life, making things right and restored and putting together the broken pieces, 
or whether it's in the next. I'm not saying this is easy, but this is the hope that we can have. This is what Jeremiah does. Chapter 32, the year's 587 BC, while the Babylonian army was hammering away at Jerusalem. This is really interesting. Jeremiah knew that the army would conquer the city and they would haul most of the people into exile. It looked utterly hopeless. The next day, Jeremiah's uncle comes and visits him in prison. And he offers him, he offers to sell Jeremiah a vacant lot in the suburbs of Jerusalem. If you're a real estate agent, this would be the worst time to buy a property, right? Uh, Everybody's going into exile. This place is getting taken over. Uncle is offering to sell me a lot in this city. It's like, what's going on here? But Jeremiah lived by the promises of God, even though things looked hopeless here. He held on to the promise of God. And so to Jeremiah, it made sense. He purchased the property. He bought the field, hoping and trusting that he would someday live on that field because God had promised that better days were coming. He had said that captivity would end and the people would return. When we put our hope in Christ, it not only affects the way we think, but it affects the way that we live. And that's the big idea for today. Take away this, that hope centered on Jesus allows us to persevere through the challenges of life and keeps us from missing out on the joy in front of us. Look at this last line. It says, and this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. As we walk through this season of Advent and we just get into that today, of waiting, of longing, of rejoicing, of hoping, of pondering, of reflecting, Where this message ends is really a great place for us to start. There are a lot of places that you can choose to place your trust, to place your faith. There are a lot of places where you can choose to not hope at all. But here's the question. Can those people, things, places be trusted? Can they bear the weight? I love how Jeremiah ends the verse, the Lord is our righteousness. And so the biggest question for us today is this, is he? Is he? Is he your righteousness? Are you trusting your life with him? Are you trusting your today, your tomorrow, your eternity with him? No matter what comes, in the good, in the hard, in everything in between, where is your hope found? Is he at the center of it? And if he's not, what does it look like to take that first step forward in faith? If you don't have a relationship with him, that's your first step. I've been hoping in other things. I've been clinging to other things. Hasn't been going well. It's time to hand that down. Maybe you believe for the first time, he actually does love you. He actually gave his son. They would leave a throne. They would be born. The long expected Jesus for you. Because he loved you. Maybe you've just been clinging on to some things and it's time to lay those down and say, yeah, 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 this hasn't been in the right spot. I've been hoping in myself. I've been hoping in these things. I've been placing too much emphasis here and there. God, would you come in and would you reorganize my heart, reorganize my mind, reorient my life? Hope is a powerful thing when it's directed in the right place. As Tim Keller says, a living hope enables us to have both sorrow and joy. Our living hope is an inheritance achieved for us by Christ. This is the hope that Jeremiah proclaimed. This is the hope of the long expected Christ and our hope as a church because Jesus has come and he's coming again. 
This is our greatest hope because it's an eternal hope. It's unwavering. So in the good, rejoice and be glad. And in the difficult, know that hope is not lost because in Christ, hope never fails. God, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for living a life we couldn't live. Thank you for dying a death we deserve. Thank you for offering grace that was completely unearned, unmerited. I pray that we would be a hopeful people. No matter what's happening around us, no matter what's happening to us, that we would find our hope in you. A deep hope, a rich hope, a hope that we can hold on to here, a hope that anyone at any place in any period of time can hold on to, whether that's here in our country, whether that's in a third world country that goes beyond circumstance. And it comes to this new life that you've offered us. This new life that you've given down by giving us by laying down yours. May this be our hope. The hope that we live, the hope that we pass along. We pray all these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.